Recorded live. What's happening? What's going on, man? Hey, what's happening? Not too much. Uh, we'll just do the college basketball show just to try to get it done, man. And we'll try to get it time this weekend and do that QSO. I just think there's a lot of stuff on there we could do. Um, yeah, maybe we can. Maybe we could do the QSO and uh, the WrestleMania show on Sunday. Yeah, that'd be fine. That'd be fine. <laughs> try to shoot for Sunday morning. Um. And then, like, uh, we, I do want to do the one part about the Rousey and that real quick because you asked a good question, and I was listening to it afterwards. 
Because I, I, I kind of got confused with what you were saying in the moment of it. Because like, you ask questions sometimes, and my mind be like just trying to go through what like I had planned out. So like it's not that it's not good. You know what I'm saying? But it's probably <laughs> But the question was, or the statement you were trying to make was about, like, the history not being there for women's MMA. And I kind of took it as, like, the history of MMA, not, like, thinking what you were saying. Like, there just haven't been, like, women's MMA hasn't been promoted that long and stuff like that. So there's nobody right. to compare her to. I didn't get that part of it. I thought you were, like, kind of, like, saying, like, MMA. I don't know. Like, it just didn't hit. So, um, and I just want to do a little intro for that because I'm going to turn that into its own separate little extended special or something like that. So. Um, cool. It's like kind of, you know, kind of like we do the side talk. Like right now, it sounds a little different. So let's try to make it look. Yeah. So that's all I want to do at the end of this. Cool. All right. <laughs> Everything seemed pretty straightforward. I don't want to fill out a bracket per se. I just want to kind of go through some of the stuff that I think is interesting. Um, no, I, I agree. And I think uh, just given our like Elite Eight and Final Four and going down, I think that's perfect because everybody, nobody wants to hear your entire bracket, especially two of our brackets. <laughs> and <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard like 10 already from different clowns. You know, like <laughs> right. So I think I think going from 8 to 4 to 2 to 1 is the way to go with it. Alright. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. It is here. March Madness is upon us, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody hug Jim Valvano. I am D. Cleveland born and raised, Buckeye born and bred. And I'm Jake from Youngstown to Columbus. We're talking madness. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry. Uh, I don't like to go through a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but we've just been busy. So we wanted to talk to madness. We're giving it to you here. Uh, you should have about... I don't know, T-minus 12 to 10 hours to be able to listen to this podcast before that final bracket needs to be submitted, hopefully, uh, and it gives you a little bit more insight. Our other college basketball show just went up as well, so hopefully between those two that you get uh, a little difference of opinion and a different perspective uh, from with an Ohio bias. Jake, what do we got this show? Well, the we'll give you an overview of what you can expect and need to know for the madness. Best matchups, players to look out for, the snubs, the best coaches, who's going to be this year's Cinderella. Then we'll take a break and come back, and we're going to look hard at OSU's chances for a good tourney run, and if any other of those Ohio schools have what it takes to advance. And then we'll give you our picks for the road to Indianapolis. All right, and then we got a special, special Twitter love here with an Ohio bias. Just a couple guys that I've been following for uh, a couple years here. And uh, first, we give a special shout out to the one Allie LaForce. Uh, we got a great story about her coming up in the QSO on that podcast. We'll be looking out for that. But you'll see Allie covering the NCAA tournament. And, you know, she was a former Ohio U- University Bobcat, so that's why we always root for her and uh, happy to see her breaking it down and asking the questions. Before the games and at halftime, which she does ask some very, very poignant questions that catches some of the coaches off guard with how detailed the question is. Um, and speaking of questions, before we get to the Twitter love, Jake, when was the first time you ever filled out a bracket? Do you remember how that went back? I do, I do. I remember uh, my dad coming home from work with uh, a bracket contest around his office pool and filling it out. 
and I actually think I did pretty good. I don't I don't know if I won any money, but I remember being impressed with myself <laughs> at, at, at filling out that first bracket. So, uh, yeah, and ever since, uh, every year, it's, it's a rite of passage. No question. I remember being a uh, freshman in high school, and, uh, you know, I really – I had I knew the way the bracket tournament worked out, but I didn't know people actually bet money on it and things like that. And you know, it came around and whatnot. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, even though the statute of limitations probably ran out. But uh, you know, I got the bracket, and I remember they set up a TV in our in our high school library. And a shout out to Shaker Heights Red Raiders, who are actually in their own regional tournament balling, and also to the Learning Titans undefeated. Uh, seeing our support for them, but back to the NCAA tournament brackets. Uh, they put the TV up to show the game, so everybody would run in, and you're checking your brackets, trying to see how you did on that Thursday and Friday. It was just so awesome, and I think it was there that our school like kind of embraced that, and it's always fueled my uh, passion for March Madness ever since then. So, uh, and uh, you know, had some great tournament runs the year that Maryland won with Juan Dixon, won a lot of money that year. Of course, Carmelo's year did very, very well. We're talking, you know, a nice uh, four figures. Uh, and ever since then, I, I believe this is the power ball of sports. It's the greatest way to spend five bucks and uh, try to win, you know, 500 or even more if you're so inclined. Yeah, and special shout-out to all the teachers out there that turn the TV set on, uh, kind of take it light on their lesson prep and uh, allow the kids to enjoy some of these early-round games. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. We want to give a special quick Twitter love to our guy, H.T. underscore J. Reeves, huge college basketball fan, huge Ohio State fan, at Daniel Levitt 32 You've got to check out DanielLevitt.wordpress.com. Uh, uh, he's a great follow. He's breaking down each and every team, so we'll be tweeting that link out and also putting it up on with this post at uh, with an Ohio bias uh, just for some great, great breakdowns. And I've been, you know, uh, we've been retweeting a lot of the stuff that he's had uh, out there, uh, kind of got into a little back and forth with him about Virginia being a uh, number one seed a couple weeks ago, but uh, we saw how that one came out. Um, and then also to at Matt, at Trav's Matt, Matt Trable, uh, great, great follow for all things college basketball and college sports in general. Uh, we don't hold it against him. He went to Penn State, but, uh, you know, he's still a great follow, great cover. And we're a shout-out, special Twitter love to, you know, Xavier's men's basketball, Dayton's men's basketball, Cincinnati's men's basketball, and, of course, the Ohio State University. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with Dee and Jake. We will see you on the other side talking snubs and who's who in this year's tournament for the matchups region by region. I heard somebody ask that question earlier, like right at like five o'clock on drive time. I thought that was a pretty good question. When you first filled out your first bracket, I hadn't, yeah. Yeah, brought me back to, to the teachers having the TVs on. That's a good, that's a great, that, that, was a great that was a great call. That was a great call, yeah. So forth, I go regions. Oh, I know what I would say, snubs. I don't really have a lot of snubs. I don't have anybody that I've replaced anybody with, really. But I do have some seating questions, questionable seating numbers 
And I wanted to mention how Dayton, the last team in, uh, essentially gets three home games. That's fine. All right, we're back, and that was Muse. Of course, the madness. Uh, we're we're talking college basketball. And first, you know, it really sucks with the NCAA selection committee. Somebody's always left out, sometimes justified, um, and sometimes unjustifiably. Uh, you know, but this year, we saw the NCAA selection committee kind of go to the blue bloods and uh, pick, you know, the the small market, or not small market, but the uh, mid majors in the uh, butts and uh, push the door or close the door in their faces here, you know. Um, and, I mean, I, it's not a lot of snubs that I'm going to say go break down their RPI or anything like that, but it's just some teams that played very well during their year and should have been in. And, you know, everybody's talked about Texas and UCLA getting in. Um, UCLA specifically, I don't understand how they made the tournament, but Illinois State, who beat Northern Iowa and Wichita State, two teams that are in the tournament, you got Murray State, who went 25 and 0 to finish their season and win their uh, this before they didn't win their conference. Um, you know, it, uh, and also Temple and Old Dominion teams that actually passed the eye test when you see them play, but did not get the chance to dance. Um, it, it, it's a it's a real shocker uh, what happens and how UCLA makes it and Stanford doesn't make it and Stanford uh, showing them their wares in the NIT. Uh, you know, it, it's just one of those things. It, it's a it's a real head scratcher on how the NCAA committee. Uh, uh, can uh, justify this, but you know, once the action starts, the ball tips. Everybody forgets about how these schools were scoring. Yeah, the one the one that stood out to me was Murray State. Uh, obviously, with a little bit of a track record in the NCAA tournament, and like you said, to to finish out their season with uh, 25 wins and then to be knocked out in their conference tournament, uh, kind of a bummer that they didn't get in. Um, I, I want to talk for a second about some of these seedings. Uh, it, it more that it's more that for me this year than it was the teams that didn't make it. I, I'm looking here. I don't understand how Georgetown's a four seed, uh, it, uh, Michigan State a seven seed seems awfully high for what they did. Uh, Louisville a four seed, and Kansas a two seed after losing to Iowa State. Uh, in their conference tournament, it didn't make any sense, and then making Iowa State a three seed, and then Ohio State as a ten seed uh, seemed awfully high. Uh, and then the other thing that bothered me too that I saw was that one one of the last teams, and if not the last team in the Dayton Flyers, they essentially get three home games to start their tournament. One one in Dayton, and then they come to Columbus to play their next two if they uh, get by. Uh, get by. Who are they playing right now? Boise State. Yeah, if they get by, uh, if they get by the Mountain West, Boise State. So, uh, it kind of uh, some head scratchers there, I guess. Well, I will say Ohio State was one of the four teams in the best, one of the best conferences, in my opinion, the top four conferences. Now, you talk about Georgetown. The Big East was weak to me, and that's why we'll get into it here a little bit later. I don't put a lot of stock in the Villanova. Um, you know, you 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 talk about uh, also too the the Pac-12 was weak. Uh, that, so UCLA once again, I can't get over it. Um, with the seeding, a lot of these things they're trying to go back and you know these guys are trying to set up these historical matchups and things like that. 
the best thing about the tournament is anybody can beat anybody because it's basketball. The shots will fall. You know, you can be big, be small, but if you can shoot the rock, we've seen Jimmer Fredette, you know, you've seen all kind of, I mean, Mouse McFadden. We've seen guys, you know, size doesn't matter sometimes when it comes to winning. If you can make, uh, and you see the great, the great championship won by UCLA and that play by Tyus Edney. I mean, you, you know, it just comes to mind. So you got to let, and that was UCLA back then, but that team was stacked with, you know, quantified players, not like this team. Uh, it's it's a real head scratcher. It's a real head scratcher. The amount of teams that got in, um, you know, the selection committee. But like I said, it, it, nobody remembers it once the ball tips off. Everybody forgets until next year when we're having the same conversation. You know, twenty four to forty eight hours before the NCAA tournament. The other thing with Ohio State, not only did they seed us tenth, which means we had to we were in that matchup to have to play the number two seed next. They send us all the way to Oregon, which is obviously going to be a, a hostile crowd to us, no matter who we're playing. And then they have, like, an obsession with scheduling uh, the Buckeyes and Thad Mata against the Miller brothers because we got Sean Miller this year, and as we all know what happened with Dayton and Archie Miller a year ago. So it, no no favors whatsoever for a Buckeyes team that, like you said, played in one of the best conferences in the country and was a top-four team. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I'm just going to say Gene Smith at one time was the president of the NCAA Selection Committee. I don't know if he did some people wrong or something like that, but since Ohio State was the number one seed overall and got the worst possible uh, road to the Final Four that I've ever seen in the history of the bracket, uh, I have seen problems with this guy as being an athletic director when it came to seeding and uh, where the Buckeyes played in the NCAA tournament. So uh, I don't know if Gene Smith really burned some bridges when he left that selection committee. But we, we move on and we talk about the selection committee and what they do. Let, let's get into, you know, the best matchups of the region. Um, so, uh, what, what's some of the potential matchups that you're intrigued? Let's start with the Midwest region, of course, that will end up playing in Cleveland, but starting out in Columbus, Louisville, Pittsburgh, and Omaha. One of the matchups I'm really interested in seeing and right here in Columbus, actually, is the West Virginia-Buffalo game. Uh, Buffalo's been talked up a lot uh, recently about a 12-5 uh, type uh, upset. But West Virginia can press, and it's going to be interesting to see if Buffalo doesn't turn the ball over. Uh, that's going to be the key in that game, but uh, definitely a, a cool matchup with Bobby Huggins going against Bobby Hurley. Uh, Buffalo plays really fast. The other one uh, that's really interesting to me is Wichita and Indiana. Uh, Wichita's strength is their guards, and that's IU's uh, strength. So it'll be interesting to see which set of guards uh, is the better tandem um, in that matchup for me. Well, Cotton's very strong down low for Wichita, too, kind of underrated player. But, yeah, I, I definitely – and it just depends on uh, – Wichita stays hot somehow. Um, Indiana, they're very streaky, so you never know what you're going to get. They're decimated by injuries and off-the-field issues. But when you talk about that West Virginia-Buffalo, uh, Buffalo, of course, winners of the match, uh, as you said, coached by Bobby Hurley. But uh, one note about Huggy Bear, former Cincinnati and uh, now Mountaineers coach, uh, West Virginia, take me home, Mountain Mama. Uh, Huggins has never lost in the first round. He's lost a lot of second-round games, but he's never lost in the first round. I thought that was an interesting fact. So uh, it should be – that is a great matchup, and it's going to be a great game to watch. The trailer for – the uh, West Virginia is a great guard, and uh, they can they can they were tested and played well um, and deserved their seeding 
uh, in the Big 12. So I think they're 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 gonna they're gonna prove themselves to be very formidable, at least in that first round matchup. The game I'm looking forward to in that Midwest region, though, is down the road, and that would be the next uh, the next game. It would be between Wichita State and Kansas. I think having those two teams who have avoided playing each other for a long time, kind of like Cincinnati, Ohio State. Wichita State's been chomping at the bit. The Shockers have been, you know, chomping at the wheat straw, waiting to get a piece of rock chalk Jayhawk. And we talked about how the NCAA tournament likes to – uh, play with these matchups and rivalries and stuff like that, and this is definitely a case of that. Uh, should be really interesting. Uh, seems like Kansas has been dodging Wichita for a long time, and finally, if they uh, they both advance in the first round, we're going to get to see it, which would be great. All right, so we leave the we leave the lovely shores of Lake Erie, and we go out to the West Coast. Let's go all the way out to where we'll be at in Los Angeles at the final. Uh, but you got Gaines in Jacksonville and Omaha. Um, Jake, who you like in the matchups in the West Side? And of course, the Ohio State Buckeyes, as you said, playing in Portland, Oregon, with the hostile Ducks fans who are probably still not over the national championship SmackDown. Yeah, obviously VCU and uh, the Ohio State is one that we'll uh, get into here in a minute, but. Uh, Wofford and Arkansas is an interesting matchup. It'll be interesting to see if Arkansas's length will be enough uh, against Wofford and whether or not they'll be able to uh, suffocate Arkansas and uh, and slow them down. Uh, they're very guard-heavy, but they're a very good defensive team. Arkansas, uh, like I said, has a lot of length and maybe one of the best big men in the country. Well, I believe a couple of years back, Wofford took out Indiana, if I remember correctly, um, in a, a second-round matchup. Uh, you know, when you think about Arkansas, they have Bobby Porters, who was the SEC uh, Player of the Year, uh, which some people were upset about. Um, they won 25-plus games. I mean, that's a feat, considering uh, they, you know, of course, had to play Kentucky a couple times. Um, I really like this Arkansas team. Not great guard play. That guard play kept them from upsetting Kentucky uh, earlier on this season. And uh, that's the only thing that you really want that, you know, a good backcourt when you go into the tournament. So uh, definitely could be an upset there. Um, the matchup that I kind of like, if you've got to pick one in this first round, would be the Oregon uh, Ducks versus Oklahoma State. You know, uh, Oklahoma State's a very emotional team, and Oregon has been decimated. They only have a short, you know, seven-man rotation, but they got one of the best players in the country, Joe Young. Um, this guy can light it up. He had 57 points in the first two games in the Pac-12 tournament, uh, and 37 of those 57 were in the second half. So this guy is a, a, a heat miser, as you say, and uh, he can really get it going for the Ducks and help win the day. Yeah, and Oregon has a feeling of uh, being a little bit on a roll, some momentum coming out of that Pac-12 tournament. Uh, so, yeah, that should be an interesting game. And, uh, I, actually, I, I think I like the Ducks in that one. Yeah, Brian Nash and that Oklahoma State team, of course, uh, coached by Travis Ford, uh, they, they, they always seem a way to find a way to let you down. So, uh, even though they come out of that strong Big 12, uh, they're not the team that I'm putting my money on. Uh, of course, we're rooting for, which is going to be an intriguing matchup now, is uh, after Ole Miss beat BYU in a play-in game, Xavier will have Ole Miss. And Ole Miss also almost was – they went to overtime with the big blue nation with Kentucky, um, which, once again, I speak to guard play because of their point guard 
with just bad, bad decisions on three consecutive possessions in that game just to let Kentucky get back in and take that game to overtime. Uh, Ole Miss should have won that game. And uh, it, I think Xavier, just with the strength of Reynolds and staying booked down, we'll talk a little bit more about them, as you said, uh, here the next uh, after the break. But uh, I think Xavier uh, finds a way. But that should be an intriguing game as well. Yeah, ever since we started these play-in games uh, for the uh, – what seed is it? The uh, 12 seed. The 12 seed. Ever since we started the playoffs for the 12 seed – Oh, no, um, 16. It's not bad. Is that the 16? Uh, it's the 16 and the 12. Or, no, the 11. 16 and the 11 is what they play yeah, for. You're right, the 11, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ever since we went to this first four, four format for the first round and the 16 and the uh, 11 seeds were determined – it, it, every year, the 11 seed has. There's been one of those 11 seeds that has advanced to the Sweet 16. So uh, there's something to be said to getting a little momentum going in Dayton. Uh, so that'll be an interesting thing to watch with Mississippi and Xavier as well. Will we see the revenge of the nerds with the Harvard Crimson taking on the guys that might not be actually doing their own work uh, at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill? No, we know Tommy Amaker's got uh, a little bit of history here in the tournament, winning some upset games, but this Harvard team isn't as good as those teams. And uh, I, I think North Carolina, they just have too much talent. Uh, I, I'm not a huge Roy Williams fan. I don't think he's that great on the si- as far as the sideline coach. But uh, I, I think North Carolina has uh, plenty, plenty to get by uh, in this one. No, I definitely, I definitely agree with you, uh, and we know definitely those kids didn't go there to play school. So, uh, shout out to Cardale Jones, undisputed national champion, uh, quarterback of the Ohio State Buckeyes. We move on, but, and, and, but they're they're playing, but they're playing a team that went to school, <laughs> that actually went to school in Harvard. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. Let's go up north. Uh, a lot of problems in Syracuse. Uh, once again, we'll address that. Jim Beheim. Uh, it kind of sucks that the Syracuse Orangemen aren't in a tournament, but we all kind of find out why now um, with the news of Jim Beheim saying that he's going to retire here in three years. Uh, we'll address that on our QSO show. But the games will be in Syracuse uh, in the East region. Uh, starting out, though, in Seattle, the Emerald City, Columbus, Ohio, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Pittsburgh, PA. Who do you like in the East region uh, for some intriguing matches? Well, I think in the first round, and I think it's the first round probably closest game anyways would be NC State and LSU. Uh, Going to be interesting here, whether it's uh, NC State's guard play or LSU's bigs that carry the day again. Uh, we got that dichotomy. Uh, and then also Louisville versus UCI, UC Irvine. Uh, UC Irvine has a seven foot six center, Mamadou Njai. Uh, and Louisville can't shoot the rock. So that's going to be an interesting game. Uh, that might be a possible upset game. Yeah, no, they're, they're the only guy that can definitely make shots from the outside for Louisville is Blackshear, uh, you know, Shaker's own Terry Rozier playing for the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, I love him to death, but he has a mid-range game, not so much from outside the arc. So uh, you definitely want some – you need more shooters when you're going through if you want to make a deep run in the tournament. I agree. I really like the LSU Tigers coming through here. I think they showed that they 
they learned a couple things going up against Kentucky. They got smacked down in the SEC tournament by Auburn. So I think they're going to have a bone to pick. And uh, we'll know, like you said, against NC State right away if they're going to respond and be ready to make a deep run in the tournament, which I think is definitely possible for the Tigers, uh, you know, down there from the Bayou. A game that you're probably going to want to get your cookies and milk because it's going to be a slow-paced one, uh, Michigan State-Georgia should be an interesting uh, first-round matchup. Uh, Izzo has the Spartans playing very well, even though they came up just a little short. They came up a lot short, actually, against uh, the juggernaut that is the Wisconsin Badgers in the Big Ten Tournament Championship. But Michigan State walked through Ohio State and uh, made a great run in the uh, in the Big Ten Tournament. Are they playing well at the right time? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, obviously, when you're talking March, you can't get you can't uh, not bring up Tom Izzo. Um, you know, the guy's success in this tournament uh, is uh, unquestioned, and he's got – I mean, obviously this Spartan team isn't as good as some of the other ones, but he's got a lot of – it reminds me of that team a few years ago that was in this similar spot, ranked and they may have been a little bit higher, but made it all the way to the Final Four. Uh, I, I look for huge things from Valentine here in the – tournament so uh we'll see i i mean it's going to be an interesting matchup here in the second round when michigan state has to play virginia uh we'll see who can uh get to 41st and that's definitely the matchup that i wanted to get to i think that's where you're going to find an upset ladies and gentlemen i'm putting it on the board as they say uh i think michigan state i think sparty takes uh, virginia to the woodshed because it's the perfect type of game Virginia wants to, you know, slow you down and, and make you take tough shots. Well, Michigan State's got tough shot makers. Uh, so that definitely will be a very, very intriguing second-round matchup and will be a definitely must-watch game of that Sunday. One other game in that bracket and out in the East that will be uh, – it will be torture to watch, but it will be interesting to see, uh, and that's you and I, uh, Northern Iowa versus Wyoming. Uh, two very defensive-minded teams. Northern Iowa, uh, a very good team that could make a deep run. Keep an eye out for them. But both of these teams like to play a lot of defense. And that Wyoming team uh, has a son of Larry Nance, Larry Nance Jr., uh, who pretty much does everything for the Cowboys. Yeah, the one thing about that Wyoming team, though, all four of their players are seniors except their point guard, who is a junior, Jay Adams. Jay Adams is a uh, just a uh, tough-as-nails guard, what you want to see going into the tournament. He kind of reminds me of Geno Ford for the old Ohio uh, Bobcats back in the day and uh, the Shaq of the Mac, of course, Gary Trent. Uh, it's kind of that kind of tandem, even though Gary Trent was more below than Larry Nance is down low. Larry Nance is a little more finesse, of course, uh, junior, that is. Um, that Wyoming team, I like them over at UNI. Uh, UNI has Tuttle, and Tuttle will be matched up against Larry Nance, um, uh, UNI likes to score. Wyoming likes to keep it low. Wyoming against uh, San Diego State in the uh, – what is that, the WAC? Mountain West. Mountain West, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Wyoming against San Diego State in the Mountain West, you know, almost didn't break 100 points. So you're right about the low scoring. Uh, they like to grind you out. But uh, I, I really like Wyoming. If they get past you and I could definitely feel like they can beat anybody. And uh, Louisville, if they have a tough one against UC Irvine, they might be on the up, other end of an upset uh, because that will be the style that really plays into what Wyoming likes to do. And Jay Adams, I mean, 
you can see his emotion. He wants to win it for those seniors, and the guy can shoot from anywhere. He is uh, he is scary, scary good with his offensive game. All right. Somebody pump up the UGK because we're going on down to H-Town. Uh, shout out to Kirk Bangs and everybody in the clubs. We're talking about the South region, and uh, these games come by way of Charlotte, Portland, Louisville, and Seattle. Who do you like, and what's the matchups we're looking for in the South, Jake? I think one of the most intriguing matchups in the first round, uh, SMU, the Ponies, coached by Larry Brown, will be taking on UCLA, uh, one of the many teams that Coach Brown uh, coached for. But uh, UCLA has been just beat up all week, everybody telling them how much they don't belong in the tournament, and uh, including us. And, you know, you tell athletes long enough that you're not good enough, and usually they respond. Uh, SMU uh, is a very good team and obviously very well coached. Uh, so that'll be a really interesting one. And then also the Georgetown-Eastern-Washington game. Uh, Eastern Washington scores a ton of points, and we already told you how we thought of, of Georgetown in the Big East Conference. Uh, that might be upset City, too. Now, you talked about seeding, and then I, I, here's one of my gripes. You know, one of these things, the, the committee doesn't go deep enough sometimes with, for me. The Eastern Washington-Georgetown game, how is that game not the game in Seattle? Why then you put them in Portland, you might as well put them in Seattle. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me, you know, like, um, because you got the, the player uh, that used to play for UCLA, Josh Smith, the big man, three, three bills plus, playing for Georgetown in the middle, you know, originally from Seattle, one of the Mr. Mr. Washington basketball, you know, everything, uh, would be great to see him going up against Eastern Washington in Seattle. I mean, they're just, you know, like, that's just a great, you know, sub story to the subplot to that matchup. To put them in Portland makes no sense when they're that close to the Pacific Northwest. I digress, though. Um, you know, uh, I do think that uh, I do think that uh, that Georgetown Eastern Washington game will be an interesting one. Uh, Tyler Harvey, the uh, you know one of the NCAA's most scoringest players this year, uh, going up against I think it's the Georgetown guards. That was a good call on this one. I just. Tyler Harvey, the guard for Eastern Washington, the Eagles, actually is the nation's leading scorer this year, a uh, former walk-on. Yeah, say that again. Tyler Harvey, the guard for the Eastern Washington Eagles, uh, is actually the nation's leading scorer this year, uh, a former walk-on as well. Yeah, so Tyler Harvey will be matched up, which is this is a great matchup. We talk about guard play, great matchup in the back against Vontae Smith Rivera of Georgetown. So these two guys are going to be going at it, two flat out scores. Smith Rivera keeps that Georgetown engine going. He's the only guy that can really get his own shot and keep the Hoyas on the scoreboard. So that should be an interesting, uh, definitely, definitely interesting game. Just wish it would have been in Seattle, like I said, but hey. It is what it is. Uh, the, the SMU, uh, I think this is going to be Larry Brown's greatest coaching job. He's got uh, he's got three seniors and a junior, uh, a lot of size. But Rorea, uh Nico Romero. I mean that that they they got some they got some scores, but they're a little undisciplined. But you know, I mean, Larry Brown knows how to get the best out of them. 
he dealt with one of the most difficult of all time with Allen Iverson for a long time. So he might be able to pull the Mustangs together and really get them to pony up. The matchup that I'm looking forward to in this one is uh, to see how Steve Fisher and the Aztecs of San Diego State, uh, if they get past St. John's, which has a huge front line, I think they could uh, possibly cause some trouble for Duke. Uh, there's nobody more skilled at getting a team prepared to play for a uh, certain kind of style. And uh, I think Duke would Okafer. You, you'd see Steve Fisher have something special planned for them. I'm not saying they're going to upset Duke, but I'm saying it's going to be must-watch TV. Anything else on that one? Oh, sorry, I was on mute. Yeah, there'll definitely be some bodies banging in that one. San Diego State, uh, very defensive-minded and uh, a very long team. Uh, so they'll, they'll be able to handle Okafor, uh, and it'll be up to uh, Duke's other players, including Tyus Jones. Question. Uh, we got both of the Iowa teams in this bracket. Uh, even though they're not on the same thing, they would have to meet in the Sweet 16. But uh, I really like Iowa State. I will talk about them in depth here in a little bit. Um, but uh, I think the I think the Hawkeyes might see a 10-7 upset against Davidson. Even though Davidson got uh, cream, they were one of my picks. Me and Jake were doing a little uh, side chat uh, last Saturday for the uh, conference tournament, uh, conference championships. You know, I, I I think Davidson might have something for uh, Mr. Poke Your Eye Out, Woodbridge, and Iowa Hawkeye. Yeah, we'll see. Iowa is an interesting team. Uh, they have the possi- They have a, a chance where they could go into the Sweet 16. I could see a path for them. All right. We we talked about some of the players as we went through, uh, you know, some of the guys that you really want to check out. Um, you know, we said Tyler Harvey uh, the uh, at Eastern Washington. I think we talked about everybody I wanted to talk about. Yeah. I broke everybody else down. That's everybody I wanted to mention. Two guys I'm really looking forward to to watching closely here, and we've been watching one in the Big Ten season. That's Frank Kaminsky. Um, I just want to see how he does outside of the Big Ten, and then once they get into like the the Elite Eight, uh, Final Four type games, I want to see against these top guys how he handles, uh, and and also kind of get a feel for what kind of pro he might be. Um, and then the other guy who I think is going to be the player of the tournament that's Tyus Jones of Duke. Uh, the guy we talked about him in another podcast, he's got veins of ice water. I love him. Uh, I think he's going to be Mr. Clutch in this thing. Yeah, I mean, I know this is kind of redundant. Everybody's talked about him, but I really love Carl Anthony Towns with the University of Kentucky. Um, you know, I kind of just mentioned Maria. We mentioned Sabonis on our other podcast uh, for uh, Gonzaga, Kevin Pangos, of course, the guard there. Um, of course, you know D'Angelo Russell's must-watch TV. Uh, we will break down a little bit more of some of the other folks to watch because I'm going to really get into some of how these teams could uh, be successful uh, and almost go through their uh, starting rotations 
as I talk about my teams that I like going into the Final Four and Elite Eight a little bit conversation. But we're going to be talking about Ohio State's chances in the Big Dance when we come back on the other side. This is with an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans to eat and take. Did you want to do coaches? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we can do that. All right, Jake, let's talk top five tournament coaches in this tournament. We're not talking all time. We're just talking about the gentlemen that are in here. Uh, who do you have in your top five? Well, I'll, I'll start with a couple honorable mentions. I think the next generation of great coaches – uh, starts with Shaka Smart and Sean Miller, uh, the two brilliant, brilliant guys. So uh, they're not in my top five, but they're uh, right on the outskirts. So a couple more years they will be. Uh, number five, we start in Kentucky, uh, John Calipari. I mean, obviously just uh, w- one of the greats, uh, great recruiter, but uh, underrated on the sideline as well. Uh, number four, the former coach of Kentucky, Rick Pitino, uh, absolute wizard. Uh, we'll see how much uh, he can squeeze out of a rock this year with this Louisville team. Uh, number three for me is Tom Izzo. Uh, obviously, just an unbelievable record in the NCAA tournament. Uh, does more with less every year. Uh, my number two coach in this tournament, uh, a little bit uh, out left field, but it's Larry Brown. Uh, the guy's done everything in coaching, um, including winning a national title and uh, a world title in the NBA. And then my number one coach in this tournament is Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, a protege of Bob Knight. And uh, just, I mean, what can you say that hasn't been said? uh, Coach K is my number one in this tournament. All right, in this tournament to me, and it's not going to reflect how they do, but uh, I made it, and this is a a stark contrast, and it's it's very draw the line, that these guys that I don't mention, it's a reason why I don't mention them. and I'm more than happy because one of them is a contrast to yours. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll give two honorable mentions. I hadn't thought about that. But the two that came to mind as soon as you said that, I will give Tony Bennett credit. He's done a tremendous job building that Virginia program and just just setting their own style of play, kind of like what you talk about with Shaka Smart, that pack line defense, everybody talks about that. Uh, I respect it from the basketball side of it, of what he's doing there. The other guy that I'm going to say, and this guy on the rise, so watch out for well, two guys actually on the rise. Uh, one guy, he's not a caretaker. He's actually helped take this program, and they haven't reached the next level, but the program could have faltered a lot, and that's Butler coach Chris Holzman. Um, You know, the Butler coach took the job as the Boston Celtics, but, you know, this Butler team's back in the tournament. Um, they had a great show, and they moved to the Big East, and they held their own. So uh, got to give him a lot of credit for that. And the other guy, Gary Turgeon of the Maryland Terrapins, uh, Maryland made the move to the Big Ten. They brought themselves up to be one of the top teams in the Big Ten, and that's all because of what Gary Turgeon's done with freshmen and uh, one senior, and uh, that, that's pretty respectable and a great, great job. Uh, the, my top five goes with number five is a guy who's got his team in the number one seed, and that's uh, Bo Ryan of the Wisconsin Badgers. You know, as Buckeye fans, we get a guy a hard time telling him to deal with it, but i got to respect what he does up there, you know, in Madison, and uh, the way that they play ball, he's developed a style that's successful to him, but it also – with the kids he's got right now, it actually now the style is, is, is exciting to watch. So, uh, and he's got a great player, of course, and Frank Kaminsky that he's built that uh, that he's put into that style and made it work. So, and I, I brought it up on another podcast. It's so funny to me that Frank Kaminsky 
literally did not play but two games his uh, freshman and sophomore year. Um, my number four coach is one of yours, Tom Izzo. What can you say? The guy literally is one of the few coaches in this tournament since 2008 to have won a national championship. Um, and the Michigan State Spartans really don't shame themselves too much in the tournament. They always, you know, play hard. They might get blown out when it comes to uh, later rounds, but uh, they usually make a run even if they don't have the talent like we see this year possibly. Uh, my number three coach is Bill Self of the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, this guy has found a way to put his team in the tournament every year. He still wins the Big 12 uh, every year. Only these last two years they've lost to Iowa State because of injuries and uh, uh, off-the-field issues, um, but off-the-court issues. But uh, I love Kansas. I think Kansas Bill Self is maybe one of the great in-game adjustment coaches. Uh, halftime, that Kansas team comes out ready to play anybody a different way, and it's always exciting to watch. My number two is the same as uh, uh, you uh, had, uh, Larry Brown. Of course, we love Larry Brown. I mean, we, we sung the praises of Larry Brown on here for many, many times. I mean, what more can we say? But my number one in this tournament, he don't got the talent this year, but this guy's got the onions, and that's Rick Pitino of the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, we know what he did with that Kentucky team, left for the NBA, came back. We know what he did, you know, at Providence. Uh, his coaching tree that's in the tournament right now, or that his coaching tree that's in college basketball right now, I mean, this guy's single-handedly responsible for the great basketball programs, and his legacy is unmatched in college sports. So uh, shout-out to Rick Pitino. Uh, and I did leave Thad Mata, Coach K, and these guys off the list. And this is specific. I'm not trying to start an argument, but this, this Duke uh, record of the last five years in the tournament has been atrocious. Atrocious. Yeah, I'm not going to get into an argument. I'm not going to get into an argument over. Okay, Yeah, I'm going to let him stand alone. <laughs> um, but what uh, one other one other guy that uh, is up and coming, and in in that conversation, we got to mention that's Fred Hoiberg at uh, Iowa State. What he's been doing, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him in the likes of Shaka Smart and. Uh, Sean Miller and the other up-and-coming coaches. Oh, yeah. No question. No question. All right. All right. We're talking about your Ohio State Buckeyes. The Ohio State Buckeyes are out in Portland. They've got the 10th seed, and they're taking on the Havoc, the Rec, the VCU. Crimson? No. Rams. Rams. The VCU Rams. They're taking on Shaka Smart's VCU Rams, just mentioned uh, before the break, the uh, we know what VC wants to do. They want to press and turn us over, turn over the Buckeyes, and they want to turn over any team they play. And actually, you know, they try to wear you down, almost kind of like the Arkansas, uh, you know, uh, uh, Razorback team that won a national championship back in 1995, you know, uh, with the great uh, Corliss Williamson and um, The, the the great Corliss Williamson and the Nolan Richardson team uh, of that era, uh, you know, the constant pressure that, you know, leads teams to uh, lose their mental focus. I think this actually matchup plays into the hands of the Buckeye strength. We're not good down low, Lord knows, but D'Angelo Russell, Shannon Scott, Sam Thompson, we got enough ball handlers, even if Cam Williams coming up the bench, we've got enough guys that can handle the ball and move the ball up the court um, and then, you know, the Buckeyes can score in the open floor. I think this is going to be great for the Ohio State Buckeyes when it comes to the first round. Yeah, I'd say that 
VCU has the advantage in probably coaching and uh, experience, um, but I, I agree. Uh, Ohio State definitely has the more talent. Uh, they're the bigger team. Now, uh, let's hope that Amir Williams uh, gets an attitude adjustment and uh, starts playing hard here in the NCAA tournament because he's going to have to be a big key if this team wants to advance. But uh, this game is going to come down to D'Angelo and the Russets and whether or not uh, the supporting cast around him uh, can make a few plays because we know D'Angelo is going to show up. Well, I think I think Jayshon Tate's ready to step up and not be Tito anymore. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for Miller Williams. We've been holding our breath for four years, and this guy, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to – it is what it is, you know, with this guy. I think Jayshon Tate is going to help. Uh, beat that press. Uh, they got to bring Bates the app off the bench. You know, we we got to use the guys that can you know actually make some shots and you know uh, can play wide open offense. And the best thing about this is another good thing about playing VCU. Ohio State can play small. Um, the the thing that sucks for Ohio State, Anthony Lee has the groin injury. He tried to give it a go, can't go. Um, I don't know if he's even going to be able to medical redshirt because he was a transfer. We know how the NCAA likes to play hard and fast rules, so. Anthony Lee would have been perfect for this game because he's also, you know, that stretch four type of five player that can run the floor and would have been great catching that ball at the foul line or something like that going over top of the press. Um, we know Amir and Trey McDonald uh, are, you know, you see what you get. They can bang a little bit, catch a rebound, put it in. Um, but we don't want to see those guys trying to take the ball at least 10 feet dribbling. So um, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully Thad Mata has this team up for this game because uh, early that's going to be early morning out there in the Pacific Northwest for the Buckeyes, and it's going to be a weird start and, like you said, a hostile crowd being in the background not too far from Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be uh, 1240 their time, uh, maybe a little later, depending on how the other games go in front of them. Um, but uh, – it's definitely going to be a challenge. Uh, they, like I said earlier, the NCAA does no favors. Uh, when I talk about Amir Williams, uh, I think you hit it on the head. Between him and Trey McDonald, I need him just to bang. I need him to rebound and protect the rim. I, I don't need anything else from him. So uh, if I can get that and get some toughness, uh, I think this team might have uh, might be able to put a little run in uh, up against a run in them. Uh, it's going to be really tough to get by Arizona. But if they get by Arizona, then uh, who knows what can happen. Well, even if they get by Arizona, they will run into the familiar foe probably uh, that they run into before that they couldn't beat the last game of the season. They couldn't even reach because they got upended by Michigan State. Uh, they got beat twice by during the regular season and then, you know, couldn't beat the last game of the season with just a terrible effort. Here, here's the thing. It, bottom line, the Buckeyes can go as far as they want to, honestly, as far, in my mind. But these guys have come out with terrible energy. They did it against Michigan in, 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 up north in Ann Arbor. You know, they did it against the team up north in Ann Arbor. They did it, you know, last game of the season against Wisconsin. I don't know what Buckeye team I'm going to get. So, you know, hey, I mean, maybe these guys go visit Phil Knight in the Nike factory up there you know, and maybe they get uh, revved up with some of that Oregon speed and, you know, they're they're fired up for the game because if they're not fired up, these guys, are, this VCU is not going to take it easy and they will roll up on the Buckeyes and try to light, uh, light them up by 30. 
So, uh, and that will be, once again, bringing shame. The fact that they're 23-10 and 10 in the 10 seed in this tournament is disgusting. Uh, it reminds me of the year they ended up in the NIT under Thad Mata, and I, I just don't, you know, Thad Mata's got, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. We're going to keep it to the NCAA. I'm not, yeah, yeah, all right. yeah I'll leave it there. Let, let's talk about, you know, uh, Let's get to our Elite Eight predictions. We gave you kind of the games that the matchups that we were intrigued by. Uh, you know, if Ohio State makes it to the Elite Eight, they get to see, in my opinion, Wisconsin. Let's stay here in the West. Uh, Arizona, Wisconsin, Jake, uh, possibly North Carolina. If they get, can beat Wisconsin, they've got the front line to do it in the Elite Eight. Uh, what do you like there in the West? Well, I have Wisconsin facing North Carolina uh, with North Carolina advancing. Um, I, I think North Carolina is a matchup problem for Wisconsin. Uh, they they have the biggest to be able to m- match up, and uh, I just think that overall their athleticism and their talent uh, will be able to carry Wisconsin, who sometimes struggles offensively. Um, and then I have uh, Baylor against Arizona with Arizona advancing. Uh, obviously, that means I have Ohio State losing to Arizona, but uh, I, I, that's where I'm at with that. And then I have Arizona advancing to the final final four out of the West. Yeah, my, my mine is uh, completely the same, honestly. Uh, you know, when we talk about North Carolina, North Carolina is one of my favorite teams to actually shake up this tournament just because of what you said. They have the size, and they also have uh, a guard that could turn it on. Now, North Carolina woke up in this ACC tournament. And that's another reason. I like teams that go that they are hot going into the tournament. Uh, Marcus Page playing like the guy that everybody thought he could play like. J.P. Tokido is that slasher and that guy that's giving them a little steel leadership. Uh, you talk about Justin Jackson, which I think he's, you know, the uh, Kevin Durant-like. He doesn't rebound like Kevin Durant. Lord knows he doesn't rebound and block shots the way Kevin Durant did when he was at Texas. But he's got the offensive game uh, of a Kevin Durant and the size. You know, he's built that same way. But you talk about down low. Bryce Johnson was unbelievable against Virginia uh, in that ACC tournament, and then also Kennedy Meeks. Then they got Joe Berry was very good against Virginia in that championship, ACC championship game. Uh, you know, I, I really like North Carolina. The only problem, as you mentioned and we mentioned before, is Roy Williams. I saw Roy Williams tearing into these kids like they were getting blown out, you know, within the first ten minutes. I This guy has turned into one of the worst coaches that I've seen, you know. He, he's, he's transformed himself, and I just don't understand where that disconnect is, but Either say I like North Carolina. I like that all those matchups, Wisconsin playing North Carolina and Baylor also getting by Xavier to play Arizona and Arizona playing uh, North Carolina. Um, let's move on up then and go back to the Midwest. Uh, they will be playing in Cleveland, and uh, the Kentucky Wildcats will possibly be uh, – well, who do, you, who do you like in the Midwest? Let's see what you got there. You thought Fat Mata didn't call timeouts. <laughs> Roy Williams is the king of not breaking up a run. But anyways, I digress on that. Um, out in the Midwest, uh, obviously, uh, Kentucky is, is in the mix there. Uh, I have Kentucky taking on Maryland. Uh, I, I think Mel Trimble and, like you said, Mark Turgeon's a really underrated, very good up-and-coming coach. Uh, I think they get the, to the Elite Eight, but uh, they don't have enough to beat Kentucky. In, in the bottom half, I have uh, the Domers against Wichita State. I think Notre Dame, uh, they're a fun team. They're going to be able to score a lot of points. But I think Wichita State, their experience and uh, their guard play, I think it's going to be a little bit too much for Notre Dame. 
that gives me Kentucky and Wichita, uh, and I have Big Blue coming out of the Midwest. The Kentucky possible Maryland matchup, you talk about Melo Tremble. Des Wells also a bowling ball uh, at that small forward position. Melo Tremble and Des Wells can give Kentucky fits just by the fact of the matter. They won't be scared to take it to the basket. Now, this is either going to happen two or one way, or end up uh, one of two ways. Uh, either Kentucky's going to block all their shots and these guys are going to look like idiots, or they're going to get Kentucky into foul trouble. It's going to depend on how the ref call that game. So, uh, you know, uh, I think, like you said, I don't think they have enough to get by them, but I do like the margin layman that stretch four to kind of do what your strategy was on the previous podcast, you know, kind of, you know, bring those bigs away from the basket. Um, the team that I think is intriguing, and I, I do like some of the ACC teams a lot as we move through, I think Wichita State knocks off Kansas to play Notre Dame, and I think we see Notre Dame play Kentucky. And Notre Dame is another team. I think uh, I think the real key for Notre Dame, a lot of people talk about their guard play with Demetrius Jackson, Pat Connaughton, and, and, of course, Jeremy Grant, uh, Harvey Grant's son, uh, Horace Grant's brother, you know, the former NBA player, brother tandem. I think the real key to them is the big man in the middle, Zach August. This kid can finish. He can catch the ball. He can block shots. He's the real engine that goes and gets them. Being able to get that ball movement after a rebound and kicking it out, this, it, that's what gets them going, especially when they start, because they go cold a lot at Notre Dame. So Mike Bray, this might be the time for Mike Bray to actually break through, because he's in that crop of coaches that you don't understand why their teams go out uh, early in the tournament every year. So uh, I think this is the year that Notre Dame breaks through. Do they break through enough to take down Big Blue Nation? I don't think so. So, uh, But that's the, that's the million-dollar question. But I agree. I think Kentucky comes out of this region as well. I know that was a long-winded way of saying it. that's good all right let's go to the east and syracuse uh the place where nobody wants to play right now especially the orange men but we've got who who you got coming out of this east region this is the most up in the air region for sure i think uh i think there's five teams that could come out of this region uh maybe even more um but i have uh villanova taking on uh northern iowa and I, I I just don't trust Villanova, I guess, more than anything else. I think they got the better team, uh, and I like Jay Wright, but I just don't trust Villanova, and so I'm taking UNI to beat uh, Nova. And then I have Oklahoma, uh, Long Kruger's team, taking on Virginia in the other part, uh, which means I have Virginia beating Michigan State. And I have UVA moving on to play UNI in the Eastern final, and I have – Northern Iowa in the final four. All right. Well, that must be off the hot dog now. Um, I'll tell you like this. We can make it real easy. Michigan State's going to beat Virginia. Oklahoma beats Michigan State. They they make it to the lead eight. Um, then I have I, – I, I would I – I love Jay Wright too, but the only thing I want to do with him is go sweet shop, okay? Because I don't think this Villanova team is going anywhere. I think LSU makes it to the, the Elite Eight to play Oklahoma. We get a little, we get a little uh, down south cooking down there, you know, between Oklahoma, a uh, little country boy battle between Oklahoma and LSU. And, I, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Oklahoma's, you know, coming out of that Big 12, I think Oklahoma or LSU, it's going to be a shocker. That it's not going to be a blue blood that comes out of that East region, but I like Oklahoma coming out of that region. Like I said, that's the one region where I look at yeah. it, and 
there's like five or six teams that I can make a case yeah, that's for. The, that's so. the bracket buster region this year. That's the yes, one that absolutely. nobody's going to be able to predict. Um, but you hear that with an Ohio bias. And, you know, I will be shooting the moon to the crow if I do get it right. So, you know. That was the first OU OU one I've heard. I've heard Louisville. I've heard UNI, Nova, Michigan State, Virginia. That was the first uh, Oklahoma. So, we'll we'll keep the tape on that one. Oh, yeah. No, I know him. All right. We go to the South region. Uh, Jake, who do you like in the South region? All right, well, I got a, a little bit of an upset here. Uh, I have Duke, obviously, but I've got them playing Eastern Washington. Uh, I think Eastern Washington uh, is going to beat Georgetown, obviously, and I think Stephen F. Austin beats Utah, uh, and Eastern Washington gets Duke. Uh, and I've got, obviously, Duke uh, just too athletic, too big uh, for Eastern Washington. And then on the bottom half, I have Iowa State, the Cyclones, and Fred Hoiberg uh, taking on Gonzaga. And Mark Few, uh, I just really like this Iowa State team. I think they're peaking at the right time, playing good basketball. And like I said, uh, I, I love Fred Hoiberg. And then we got Duke and Iowa State, uh, and I'm taking the Dukies to the Final Four. Well, I really don't care how it all plays out. Gonzaga is not ready for uh, prime time. I don't know when they're going out, but they're going out at some point. Um, let's get to the other games. I like Utah to possibly make a run, but they played so bad down the stretch in the tournament in their last couple of games. I don't know what to expect from them, so I'm not worried about it. I think Duke has a cakewalk. I really don't care who they play, but they will be in that Elite Eight matchup. I believe Iowa State will be there to uh, after a great game, which I think will be one of the games of the tournament against SMU. Um, I think Iowa State's coming out of this side right here. I, I, I love the mayor. I love Fred Hoiberg what he's done with this program. They have constantly grinded their way up through these tournaments the last four years, and I talk about breaking through to the other side. I think Iowa State's the other team this year that breaks through the other side. They've got the stretch four, senior leader in George Niang. The guy can shoot it. He can score off the dribble. He just makes plays when they need him to. Uh, their guard's a little shaky, but I love Narden, the small forward. This guy is a flat-out slasher scorer. Uh, you know, when you get to tournament time right now, you've heard me talk about it a little bit with these other teams. You need shot makers and shot takers. You need guys that can make shots, whether it's shoot from outside or be willing to, you know, make a make a basket on their own if they're double team, triple team, just want to go to the basket. And guys that want to take that shot, those are the shot takers. They're not afraid to. You know, the Fred Hoybergs, the Steve Curry, you know, those kind of players that, you know, even though they might not be, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the highlight player, the marquee player, that, you know, they're the unsung hero of a team that, you know, gets, that gets, that gets uh, born in a tournament like this. So, you know, those are the guys that you remember for those one shining moments, you know, in, in the tournament. So I, I definitely like the uh, – I, I like – Iowa State, I like the Cyclones. And I'm going to tell you this, one other key to them is the man with the dreads down low. McGee is one of the best finishers in college basketball. He's not a back-to-the-basket guy. He's not, you know, throw it down to him in the post. But this guy, he can catch it off the pick and roll. He's flushing it every time. He plays the way I wish Amir Williams would play. And, I mean, I just love watching this kid play. Offensive rebounds, block shots, running the floor. Uh, I mean, you know, and the thing that sucked for Iowa State, they would have broke through before, but George Niang was hurt last year in that uh, tournament. So he had hurt his foot. So, you know, it's one of those things. He tried to come back and play later on in the tournament, but it just wasn't there. This is the year of the cycle. All right. Then we are down to our final fours. Go ahead. Who you got? Well, 
I mean, I've got Kentucky, North Carolina, Oklahoma, and of course, as I just came off of that rant about Iowa State in the year of the cyclone. <laughs> um, but I, let's just call it what it is. I mean, um, people will try to compare it uh, to the undefeated season of Indiana and whatnot. I think the Kentucky Wildcats cut the nets down. Um, you know, they, they will go ahead and beat North Carolina and then go ahead and beat Iowa State. Um, I'm hoping for a wackiness. I'm picking wackiness in my brackets. I will tell you that right now. I'm, of course, going for the money and going with what I'm telling you on with an Ohio bias, but I'm also shaking it up a little bit just in case we get bitten by the madness. Well, I'm working off of my original first draft, first run sheet here, and uh, so I'm sticking to it. I have Arizona beating Kentucky. I think Arizona, yeah, they're not very deep at all, but their starting five is very good and can definitely play with any five that Kentucky puts out there. Key to that game will obviously be the referees uh, and whether Arizona can stay out of foul trouble. But I think they do, and Arizona beats Kentucky shocks the world. Uh, And then on the other side, I have Northern Iowa and Duke, and I think Duke is on a mission, and that mission ends in Indianapolis as they beat Arizona and cut down the nets, and Coach K puts to to rest all the doubters. Well, that would be a great storyline. And, I mean, it would be an easy road if you didn't have to go through, you know, uh, Lexington uh, and Big Blue Nation. So uh, that would be a yeah, I would just that would just line up perfectly for uh, Coach K. You know, the one thing, uh, real quick on Arizona. I loved Arizona last year because, of course, the Houston Rockets now, formerly of Arizona Wildcats, Nick Johnson. I thought Nick Johnson and McConnell were the closest thing we had seen to Bibby and Miles Simon. No disrespect to Miles Simon and Mike Bibby putting their, their names in that conversation. I'm just saying that we hadn't seen two guards play off each other um, they didn't have the talent or didn't play as well as Bibby and, and Miles Simon, of course. But it was just good to see when you think about Arizona basketball. Um, but without Nick Johnson, McConnell is so shaky to me in certain situations. That's the only reason that I'm not bigger on the Wildcats this year. They really broke my heart last year. Um, but we know Brandon Ashley was hurt last year with a foot injury, so he's healthy this year with him and Tartanewski. But the real key if Arizona is going to make a run is your guy, Stanley Johnson. But the other guy is uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, the McDonald's All-American, the much-hyped guy who kind of goes under the radar now for the Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, and absolutely one of the best defenders in the country. So uh, he'll be he'll play a big part if Arizona is to make a title run. Yeah, we talked a lot about Kentucky and the other team, so this where you got a kind of a two-part podcast here from us, um, you know, we love the madness. Uh, you'll see us going nuts, literally going nuts. Uh, I might lose my mind during this, uh, you know, maybe by, by 3 o'clock, you know, after the first four games. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen. But, you know, I uh, just just love it so much to have college basketball. And I think this really is one of the greatest uh, ways to determine a champion in sports. For three weeks, it's uh, it's the most exciting thing going. Uh, everybody's talking about it. Uh, everybody's involved in it, and uh, it it kind of captivates the nation, which is really cool to do for longer than one day in the generation of cell phones and iPads and everything we've got. So, uh, really cool, and uh, can't wait for the madness and free Gus Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> 
We leave you with uh, two thoughts in our closing. Uh, one is shout out to the great general. He was mentioned here many times uh, during our podcast. You know, you need to always shock take. So we hope to see a lot of that going on in the tournament. But we're talking, of course, to General Bobby Knight, who's 1975 Indiana Hoosiers, uh, led by Quinn Buckner. That great team was the last team to go undefeated and win a championship. That's the march to perfection that the Kentucky Wildcats are trying to match. And I think there's no greater uh, comparison that you will see as we move through this tournament this year. Um, at the end of this show, you will hear one shining moment. And I know it's a little hokey by CBS, but the reason that I love it, and it really does do a real good job of recapping it. And then also, it's the great voice of Luther Vandross who sings it. Um, it's one of the best songs, and we hope you enjoy it. As always, enjoy basketball and go crazy for the madness of March. This is With an Ohio Bias, a podcast for real fans with D and Jake. We're talking MMA and wrestling, the true crossover. Is it happening before our eyes? This is a part of the extended conversation me and Jake were having about some questions about what's going on with some of the wrestlers turned mixed martial artists and some of the uh, mixed martial artists like may be turned wrestlers. But we're talking Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, and, of course, CM Punk. Um, Jake, you brought up the great question about the uh, what Ronda can do now with the comparison to Mike Tyson. I really think Ronda's at the point now where she's going to have to take the break, maybe go to WWE, as we mentioned on the previous podcast, uh, continue her movie career. But you asked the question, and it made me think, you know, women's MMA doesn't have the history. But just like Ronda Rousey came out of nowhere, I think there's a girl, maybe 15, 16 years old, who sees Ronda Rousey is going to literally become like a, uh, 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 a savant and just, like, take every discipline and just take it to another level and maybe then march through Ronda Rousey and maybe an epic Hagler Hearns or, you know, uh, 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 Liddell. Um, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, GSP, BJ Penn, uh, series of matches, you know, Frankie Edgar, uh, BJ Penn series of matches where we see them go back and forth, you know, uh, for a great, great uh, rematch. Yeah, I, I think every generation, obviously, you hope for the the next great. But uh, I think with the way women's MMA is right now and how new it is to the sports scene, uh, Ronda Rousey is so important uh, as far as inspiring that next generation of fighters because you're going to really see uh, it, it's it's not like baseball or football where the next guy, the next Wayne Gretzky, the next uh, Brett Favre, there's a lot of people uh, that had come before him. The, this is the first generation of women's fighters. So uh, Ronda Rousey is the one with the target on her back, and she's also the one that's inspiring these next generation of female fighters. And uh, I, I expect, it, it, well, obviously, eventually someone's going to beat Ronda Rousey, I would think. Hopefully uh, it's when she's still in their prime and uh, when one of these up-and-comers are entering theirs. Now, we kind of talked about, like, CM Punk and Brock Lesnar. I think we'll see Brock Lesnar. This is a bold prediction, which is not stepping out on a limb here. It's actually like walking out on a, uh, you know, tree trunk. But I think we'll see Brock Lesnar return to the UFC before we see CM Punk make his debut. 
That's interesting because, uh, well, I, I think obviously it's going to hinge on what his uh, WWE contract allows him to do. Uh, I, I think Vince is set on re-signing this guy. And it's just a matter of what he can do as far as being an employee of the WWE and appearances and stuff like that. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to, to see if, uh, one of the sticking points, obviously, is not wanting Brock to fight in the UFC. Uh, we'll see if uh, there's some way to work out a, a deal where uh, he could do both, uh, ideally. Yeah, I think the real key now is though they, it, it's about the health. I mean, you know, wrestling is you know more of a grind because it's a you know every other week thing. But even though Brock doesn't fight that much. Uh, I, I mean, I wrestle, you know, like an everyday or every every uh, program uh, contract star. I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I know people are clamoring, though, the CCM Punk. So uh, just wanted to have that little extended version of uh, with an Ohio bias. Anything else you want to get in there? Anything else you want to say on that for now? It's interesting with CM Punk. Everything around him is very, very quiet right now. And uh, like you said, the people are still clamoring. And I don't know if holding and holding and holding him, how much that would hurt his demand to be seen or help it. Uh, It could be either way. But uh, I got to think that there's going to be some movement eventually here soon. Well, we just saw two new champions crown in the – uh, lightweight division and in the women's strawweight division with Joanna Derzik and Rafael Daniels uh, beating, uh, of course, Carla Esparza and Anthony Showtime Pettis, respectively. So um, we know the Conor McGregor Jose Aldo title fight is coming. So you could, I, I could see the UFC trying to kick off the fall after the big. They announced the fight. Uh, now that I think about it, I could see the UFC announcing it fight week in July during the Aldo-McGregor fight, and then possibly having uh, Punk make his debut sometime in September or something like that. So that would have gave him about nine months, maybe uh, close to a year's time, uh, training in the gym to be ready to fight. I got a bold prediction on that. Um, He will win his first fight. They will not put him against an opponent that that he will lose to. I will tell you this, wrestling's not the octagon, man. You can't you can't script this, you know. I mean, if CM Punk's got a chin, I mean, any, you know, it's like heavyweight fights. Anybody can get caught, you know, boxing. Anybody can get caught any time, man, you know. So uh, uh, I, I the thing is, I have nothing to go on. I mean, I know he's a very athletic guy, but as far as discipline or anything like that in his career, I don't have anything to go on. And like you said, it's been all quiet. I haven't heard anything about anybody saying, oh, he looked good sparring or he looked good rolling around. So, uh, we, we, as as you know, with an Ohio bias, Jake's very interested in CM Punk. So I I you know when it comes to, when it comes across the WAOB desk, we definitely will be reporting for you. And we will be talking more MMA on our regular podcast and a special WrestleMania podcast coming for you. So Team MMA for life, MMA hell yeah, wrestling is real. As always, enjoy the greatest combat sports and entertainment. All right. That's good. I gotta go get some. You know, you know it'd be an interesting conversation, the the crossover the crossover between MMA and wrestling. More so as like 
does it discredit some of the validity of of MMA by getting too close and getting into bed with something that's scripted? I don't think so, just because of the simple fact. The scripted thing is is just is, is entertainment, but people know, like, wrestling. Like, I don't know, like, the, you know, the boxing, thing, had a, boxing had a lot of problems with fixed fights and, you know, people not trusting the, the fights. First of all, well, let's, let's, let's just... Let's I, no, no, I know, but I'm just saying it as, as a legit sport, the conversation is, has been had before and does moving closer to an entertainment type thing, does it, you know, just kind of feel sleazy? Well, that 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 that's the part of the conversation where you do have like that. That's the thing because with even with these fighters, like you got a lot of fighters out there that can't market themselves, can't talk to the microphone. You know what I'm saying? But they can fight. They want. Then they have the. You know, you got to have a certain kind of metal to step into the octagon and let that cage close. You know what I'm saying? So, like those those are the people that you see resentment from. Those are the ones that resent the folks that Dana promotes and the ones that you know he you see him play favorites with. And so that's what there's a there's a uh, and those are pure martial artists out there that you know really resent what he does, but they wouldn't be able to make a living without that. So it's you know you got the chicken and the egg kind of problem. You know what I mean? Like you, you it, yeah. And and the, and in Japan, um, they kind of mixed like literally their wrestling. They had a I can't remember the name of the federation, but yada yada yada. They had a wrestling federation that then turned into Pride FC. So, which was one of the most successful, like, uh, martial arts, like, things before UFC. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's it, it's it's, a, it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. I just, you know, with me, I don't knock any wrestler that wants to be in MMA, um, especially if they, like, most of the wrestlers were collegiate wrestlers or they were, like, people, they had, they were athletes, they had an athletic background, you know? How about the Punk, MMA what, what guys going to... This? How about the other way around, though? How about MMA you, guys... You, you, but that guy's already proven himself as a tough guy. If we're talking about uh, what's my guy Steve, uh, uh, Steve Blackman, or we're talking about uh, oh shit, or even um, the Great Musa and shit like that. You know that guy was a fucking uh, Ricky Steamboat was a fucking black belt. That wasn't yeah. no joke about that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like so, they've already proven themselves in the world of martial arts. They go to try, they, the whole thing about that back in the day, and, and still now you can make more money. Ken Shamrock. Yeah, Ken Shamrock is a perfect example. You can make more money. It's a better vehicle for you to make more money and get your name out there because it's an easier mm. commodity to promote yourself. They, and that's the best thing about that scripted whole thing. They have everything laid out for you. So it's, it, here's the question. It, 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 to me, it sits like an example of this. Start your own business or go work for an established business as an employee and get health care benefits and shit. Or start your own business and worry about all that shit. You know, that's where you kind of, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I, I kind of see it as that. Um, but I really, I don't think about that too much, honestly. I don't not, like, I don't, I know there are some people, and you, you, that's what the question you're trying to get to. There's a lot of people out there that feel that way. They feel like it cheapens the sport or like they, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the naysayers say, honestly. But no, I, know what you're trying to get I don't, the question. yeah, I don't feel that way. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I that you do. Feel, that's I don't question that you're way. asking. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I don't, I, I'm more interested than anything. No, you're trying to start that conversation. I'm like, you know, like I say, sometimes I can't go there because I don't feel strongly about it either way. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's, it's not one of my like things. I wouldn't. I, I I love wrestling and I love MMA. Like I can separate the two. You know what I mean? Like I can mm-hmm. compartmentalize, uh, compartmentalize the two from each other. 
because I love them both, right. you know? Like, so I'm, like, kind of different. Like, some people are just all wrestling. Why would somebody want to go in MMA, you know, like, and vice versa? Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, what MMA guy who, like, gets hit in the face can't then go and get hit in a chair, get hit with a chair? You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to respect both, you know? Like, yeah, no, no, no. I definitely in that vein for sure. And I will tell you uh, this now. Here, here's the conversation. Which this is the conversation we should have. Top five MMA guys that would be great wrestlers, and the top five wrestlers that would be great in MMA. And I'll tell you one guy that I think of right now is Randy Orton. I think would be a hell of a MMA fighter. Is that right? He's definitely long and lanky. Yeah, the physique, but he's and just the guy like. He he looks like he would be like be able to take it on like just the discipline and stuff like that and the way he grapples and shit he's just a, you know and he's just yeah, tough as nails man tough as nails I like that conversation that's fun yeah, I'll write that one down that is a good one for the summertime all right there you go perfect all right there we go all right man. All right, enjoy your madness. All right, sir. All right, bye. Thank you.